0: We're going to talk about getting in the zone today. When you think about the zone, you old-timers, you think about the Twilight Zone. How many of you remember the Twilight Zone? Got to have a little gray hair or a little recede uh, to uh, remember that show. It was funny, the Twilight Zone. was a a weird but funny show. The zone, we talk about the zone. We're talking about getting in the place and... Where there's effectiveness, where there's joy. So you might call it the sweet spot. When I was growing up, I, I played tennis, and I had a little tennis racket back in the day that it had a sweet spot right in the middle. Now they say uh, tennis rackets today, the whole racket is a sweet spot. But the old timey racket, if you didn't hit it right in the middle, I mean, it was terrible. It just. Bonked back. The sweet spot was where it was smooth and effective. In Acts chapter 4 this morning, we're going to look at the church and Christians when they were man, they were in their sweet spot. They were in a place individually and corporately where there was joy, where there was power, where where things were happening and I want us to see how they got there and how they stayed there. I don't want to just talk about the church. I want, to talk about, I want to talk about your life personally. I want to talk about your family. I want to talk about your sports team. I want to talk about your business. I want to talk about every area of our life. How do we get into that place, that sweet spot where things are going as God intended for them to go? i don't think i have to say this but this is the truth many of you aren't in a sweet spot your marriage isn't sweet your family relations aren't sweet things at work aren't sweet things at school are one week old and they ain't sweet (laughs) athletically it may be going tough so this is something we all man it applies to every single one of us acts four, the church is hitting on cylinders people are being saved People are being healed. They're being persecuted, by the way. They pray and the building shakes. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? Let's see how we can get in and stay in the sweet spot too. I'm going to give you four things. Number one is unity, is unity. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 is our first place. It says, all the believers were together. They hated each other. They argued. They fought. They each had their own agendas. That's not what it says, is it? That may be some church you know of somewhere, and that church does exist. It says, all the believers were one in heart... And one in mind. Now, folks, the church consisted of thousands of people. At this point, they had gone from 120 in worship to about 5,000 in just a matter of months. I mean, the church had just exploded. And certainly, not everybody was on the same page. But most of them. What he's saying here: they prayed together, they served together, they suffered together, they sacrificed together there was a harmony in their thoughts and their affections. They were on the same page. Here's a great definition of division. Someone said division is when you have different visions. Husband's got a vision for the family. The wife's got a vision for the family. That's a recipe for division. At at your workplace, you got 15 different visions. It's not going to go well. Your athletic team, your extended family, your church, whatever it is. But harmony and the zone begins to be found when people, like in this situation, of all kinds of backgrounds, socially, economically, rich, poor, young, and old, they all were able to come together. There was a unity because their hearts were right with God and their purpose was together. Listen, again, I want to tell you you don't have to know very much. You can be pretty young, you can be real old, not know much, but you know this that if things are going to go well, people have got to get along. There has to be a unity. Years ago in Canada, there was a horse pulling contest, and people would bring their horses. They would put weights to them and see how could, who could pull the most weight. One guy, he, he brought two horses. The first horse got up, and it pulled 9,000 pounds. His second horse got up, and it pulled 18,000 pounds. And then he hitched his horses together. Now, I'm thinking 9,000 plus 8,000 is what? 17,000. If you struggle with that and you're in high school, you might be seeing that same grade again next year. That's pretty easy math. He hitched those horses together, and together they pulled 30,000 pounds. That's called synergy. That's called horses working together. It's the same thing with people. Mike Krzyzewski is the great basketball coach at Duke University. He made this comment one time. He said, if you give me five people, five basketball players who are are really talented, and then you give me five, no he's talking about collegiate basketball players, same level, but they're less talented, but the talented group can't get along, and the the less talented have harmony, he said, I will beat the more talented team every single time because five people who get along are going to be a lot more effective than five people who don't get along. One of the reasons the early church was soaring right here and great things were happening is not everybody didn't get along, but the majority did. It's not uniformity. They all didn't look and smell and and act alike, but they were on the same page. If you are going to have success, you have got to be unified. Here's my challenge. You be a unifier there's strife causers. There's going to be division causers everywhere you go. Unfortunately, even in the church house, you make a choice to be a unifier on your team, at your workplace, in your family. Everybody's got crazy kinfolk. Amen? You may be one of the crazy ones, but you can be a unifier. Proverbs 16, in Proverbs 16 What verse is that? Proverbs 16, 28. Listen to what it says. A perverse person stirs up conflict. Who's the strife causer? God says it's a a perverse person. A gossip separates close friends. Godly people are people who learn to get along. And when enough people in the organization, the team, and the family are getting along, that's when you get in the zone. That's when you have God's power, God's peace, and God's presence In your midst. And every one of you in here who is sane and normal wants that. That's where the zone's found. Personally, corporately, church work, wherever you go. It begins there. Here's the second word, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Much grace was upon them. Verse 34 and 35, no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had needs. Now, some people have looked at this historically and said, this is the reason for communism. Karl Marx, who was an atheist, uh, was kind of the the daddy of modern-day communism. He wrote what's called the Communist Manifesto, and Folks, some people believe he stole from Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 16 uh, in his basic fundamental thoughts. When he wrote in his writings, each person according to his ability and each according to their need. Was this teaching communism here? Absolutely not. What was going on is the church was being persecuted. Most of these people, the thousands of people that were being saved, were Jewish people at this time. Now listen to this. This ups the ante of the game. When many of them got saved, they were kicked out of their families. They were kicked out of the house. Think about last Sunday morning. We had many, many people come and give their life to Christ. Can you imagine if they would have come back to church Sunday night and said, "Hey, yeah, I want to get baptized. By the way, my parents disown me. My my wife kicked me out. I have no place to live. I don't have a job anymore." So. At that time, you did not have any kind of major government programs. The church had to be taking care of one another. And what it says is this church that was so awesome that God's hand was upon them, they were unified. But one thing they worked, man, is they were givers. They were sacrificers. They were willing to do whatever it took to better the team and the cause. I'm going to tell you this. Great people are always sacrificers. Losers sit back and wait for it to be done to them. The, the average person, the common person sits like this. Great people are saying, what can I do to help? What do I need to sacrifice to make others and the cause succeed? Troy Aikman was a great NFL quarterback. He had the misfortune of playing for, in the girls' football league, for the Cowboys... Sorry, Cowboy lovers, but we're back at that time of the year. We have to hate on him again. Troy Aikman was a great quarterback. Made it to the, the Hall of Fame. He's, a, he's an announcer every Sunday. He's a, I think he's a great announcer. He's a great guy. If you don't like him, I think you'll like him after this quote. If you do like him, you'll like him even more. Troy Aikman said this. He said, I believe it's my job to do whatever I have to do for the best of the team. It's not about me, whatever I need to sacrifice so the team succeeds. That is what I will do. In this day and age, when you're going to hear people all fall saying, Give me the ball, give me the ball. Troy was saying, I will get the ball to anybody who can help the team succeed. Ironically, the Cowboys blew up with his former coach, Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones. and, And Aikman said, you know why they blew up? Because those two wouldn't sacrifice for the betterment of the team. I want to challenge you, be a sacrificer. Be a sacrificer. If you're a Christian, yes, you ought to tithe to your church. You ought to give to other people as you can. For some Christians, a tithe is a huge sacrifice. For some, it's chump change, but you ought to do that. But if you want, if you want to get your family, you want to get your business, your team your church, whatever it is, into the zone where God's presence and power and peace and joy are experienced, you lead the way by saying whatever I have to sacrifice of my time, my efforts, my money, whatever it is, I need to sacrifice for the good of the whole. I'm willing to do it. That is what this group of winners in Acts chapter 4 were about. They were about unif- being unified, and they were sacrificial. Here's a third concept this morning. Major on the majors. Major on the majors. Verse 33. With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Let me walk you through some of these words. Great means exceeding. The word power here is Greek word dunamis, we get our word dynamite from that. It's an inherent explosive power. As they testified, as they witnessed, this literally means to make known the gospel narrative of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the verbiage there is they kept doing it, and they kept doing it. Now listen to me. These folks, they took care of one another. They loved people. They met social needs. They helped each other. They had to deal with a government that was certainly opposed to them. They had to deal with the the main religion of the area, Judaism, which was fighting them tooth and nail. And there would have been a thousand peripheral things they could have got off on. But here's what they did. They kept their focus on the main thing of lifting up Jesus Christ and telling people, no matter where you are in life, Jesus loves you, he died for you, he arose for you, and he can save you. That was what they kept forefront in their ministry. Speaking on the church real quick, if you were here last Sunday morning at 11, you saw an incredible thing. You saw people sitting in the choir loft, and we didn't have a choir. Wasn't that pretty neat? Chairs were brought in in the back of the church. I mean, it was, we were just, it was overwhelming. The invitation was given, and all three aisles were packed with people. And and we had over 200 decisions for Christ last week. Man, a lot of things sunk into my heart from that. But I want to tell you one big thing. The rest of my life, when it comes to church and Jesus, I'm going to major on the majors. I'm not going to get sidetracked fighting on silly stuff and secondary issues. We're going to lift Jesus Christ up here at First Baptist. That's what we're going to do. What about you? What about your family? Are you majoring on the majors, Mom and Dad? Mom and Dad, if you've got kids at home, listen to me closely because here's what happens most parents realize they didn't major on the majors when the kids get out of the house. And you can't get testimonies to that because it's horrifying. It's embarrassing. Should you teach your kid how to, how to hunt and fish? If that's your cup of tea, absolutely. I grew up playing every sport there was. Should you teach your kid sports? Absolutely. Should you insist that they make at least high D's in school? Absolutely. <laughs> That's going to come back and bite me. Parents, I'm teasing. We want A's, don't we? But don't expect an A from a, a kid who may not can give you an A. But we want academic success. I spent half my life in school. I'm for it. But, man, get your kid plugged into Jesus. Worry about your kid's salvation and their spiritual growth. Man, they're getting trashed. Watch TV for two hours tonight. Just regular TV and see what you're up against. Develop their character. Help them find their life purpose. Yes, man, bless them in all those other ways and help them. But if you teach them to score a touchdown and they die and go to hell... You ain't one. Parents major on the majors, and your business. What gets a lot of businesses in trouble is they begin to focus on everything but their business. We're, we're fixing to kick off football season, basketball, baseball, softball. You know, teams that win are the ones that, that focus on the fundamentals, and they 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 love each other. They're unified. They they focus on the main things. That's what what wins. I want to read to you something from a chaplain in Iraq. His name is Lieutenant Kerry Cash, chaplain of the 1st Battalion, 5th Marine Regiment. And he begins, he says, you know, Christians and church people, he said, we we'll get off on minor issues a lot. We'll get off, we'll get mad, and we'll we'll chase rabbits and we'll get frustrated because someone doesn't believe what we believe about the revelation or whatever. But listen to his insight. He said, when I, when I have chapel right before the soldiers are fixing to go into battle, they don't ask me, what's your favorite denomination? Should it be organ or drums? Here's what they ask. Chaplain, is there really a God who's going to be there for me when I'm afraid? Chaplain, is there a God when the firefight starts and people are shooting at me that's actually going to be there? Chaplain, is there a God who's going to forgive me if I do horrible things in the next 10 hours? It's going to meet the deepest needs in my life. Chaplain, if I die on the battlefield, is there really a heaven and really a hell? And if there is, how do I get to heaven? They don't ask about organ music or guitar music. Because everything's stripped away that's trivial. I want to challenge you to do something 99% of the world doesn't do. Strip away what's trivial in your life and major on the majors. God bless. Listen, God doesn't just give his blessings and his power to anybody and everybody. He gives it to people who are about his business. Did you get that? Focus on the majors. Major on the majors in life. That's where you get in the zone, and that's how you stay in the zone. And our last word this morning is encouragement. Encouragement. Unity. Sacrifice. The right priorities and encouragement. Verse 36 and 37. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, here's an interesting thing. If you know a little bit about Jewish history, Barnabas is a a Levite, a priest, and they were not allowed to own land. So why is he selling land he was not supposed to have owned? Well, it's a couple of things. Either the Bible made a mistake here, which we'll rule that out, as that's not the case. Maybe in Palestine at this point in history, they weren't enforcing or living out that law anymore, and a a Levite could own land. Maybe it was his wife's land through family inheritance, which makes him not quite as generous if he's given away something that maybe wasn't his. But it says he was from Cyprus. Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean Sea, and, and it was not illegal for a Levite to own land there. Whatever wherever this land came from it was such a huge um, sacrifice that it absolutely blew the disciples away when when they saw this gift they just it was it was so so big and they they literally changed his name And he's called Barnabas, Mr. Encourager from this point on. The word in your Bible, encourager there, means one who comforts and who helps. Now, this is significant. The opposite of this word, the biblical opposite of this word, means one who brings trouble and sorrow. How many of you know someone who brings trouble and sorrows to what they touch? Bad. Joseph... Barnabas is lifted up as Mr. Encourager. And, folks, I wanna, I'm going to tell you in a minute, maybe one of the greatest people in the whole Bible, unsung heroes, for one big reason, he was an encourager by what he said, by, by his sacrifice, and what he did. Let me give you two quick stories on him. How many of you remember a guy named Saul? He later became Paul in the New Testament. There's Saul in the Old Testament, Saul in the New Testament. Saul was a Christian hater. He hated us. Saul was on a mission. Listen, if you're walking around with your Jesus fish hanging on your necklace or a cross, he was grabbing you and you were going to the big house that's what he he killed Christians and then he gets saved and guess what nobody believes he's sincere honestly if Saul would have come walking down the aisle and you know on a Sunday morning here and said I want to join the church I've given my life to Christ I want to get baptized I'd say man listen temple is really a good place for you <laughs> man Trinity I mean that Saul I think you would like it they, it would be great for you to go there they were scared of him They would not let let him around. And then here comes Barnabas. Barnabas says, wait a second, I think this guy's sincere. Let's take him under our wing. Let's bring him into the fellowship. Where's the church without Paul? Thirteen New Testament letters have his name on them. Where's the church without Paul? Where is Paul without Barnabas? And then Paul and Barnabas, they start doing missionary trips. They, They go on mission trips that last like two or three years and they take a young guy with them named John Mark and John Mark quits in the middle of a mission trip and so they, they get back and they, later they decide they're going to go on another trip and John Mark wants to go and Paul says no he's a quitter he is not going with us folks I mean this in the nicest way you would not want Paul to be your pastor that's why he traveled everywhere didn't stay real long <laughs> Because, brother, he swung a sharp axe. Nope, he quit. He's not going with us. Barnabas said, yes, he is. No, he's not. They arm wrestled. They tied. Barnabas said, I'm taking John Martin. Paul went another direction. Years later, Paul's an old man. You know who he wanted to see? Send me Mark. Send me Mark. He's good for me. He helps me. The first, we believe maybe the first gospel written was the gospel of Mark. Guess who God used to write that? John Mark. Maybe we wouldn't have had that first gospel if it wasn't for Barnabas. I want to challenge you to be an encourager. I don't mean the fake kind, the manipulative kind. You know, some people, some people praise their boss trying to get uh, honor. Some people, the only people they'll praise are people who are beneath them because it makes them feel good. Real encouragement. You, you encourage. It's a 360. It's people over you, under you, and who are equal to you. And it's not this silly stuff that, hey, your team got beat 85 to nothing, but we're going to give you a trophy and tell you you played really hard. I'm not sure that's really good. I don't think it's great to encourage a bad employee. I don't think it's great to tell a child who comes in at 2 when curfew is at midnight, hey, that's okay. Everything's great. We're just glad you didn't come in at two 30. Not false encouragement, but real encouragement. Find some good and lift it up. Most of us pass out encouragement like it's a $1,000 bill. <laughs> Build people up sincerely. And truly, I don't see him here. Is Bill Roundtree here this morning? Bill, are you here? I don't see him. That's great. I use him in illustration. Bill, if you're watching on the Internet, Bill sent me a note one time, and he said, I may not make a big splash in life, but I'm going to get some people wet. And what he was saying, he was saying, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be famous, but I'm going to do whatever I can to impact other people. What about you? Listen, the zone in your family, the zone in your church, the zone on your team, yes, there has to be correction and reproof. There has to be those things. But encouragement, finding the good and building it up, that's how people live effectively. And, guys, listen, here's the neat thing. All these things are within your grasp. You can do these things. You can can be a unifier, a sacrificer. You can major on the important things. You can encourage people. You can can help your life and, and the people in your life get into that blessed area where God's hands on it if you will choose to be the person God's called you to be. Will you choose to be that person? Let's pray.